Welcome fitness humans. Today, we are talking to Sydney Schindel, a certified nutritionist about shingles. No. <laughs> nutrition. Oh. Right. Okay. So we are talking about nutrition today. This is Wave Talks, episode 17, and we are so happy that you are joining us. To get started, we're going to pass this over to Jess, and she's going to ask all the questions because she is the smart one today. D is going to be the next smartest, and I will be filling in the rest. So, let's get started. I'm never the smartest one. This is so exciting. You're the most smartest. I'm the mostest is smartest. Is. Yeah. It's a revolving thing. Every, every, every podcast, one of us gets to be the smartest so that everybody gets to share that mantle the whole time. <laughs> Well, let's get started. So my first question... I already said that. (laughs) My first question, Sydney, is going to be, what is a nutritionist? Why don't you tell us a little bit more about what that actually means? Very good question and kind of convoluted in its answer. Unfortunately, the term nutritionist isn't a registered term. It is just a broad statement of someone who practices nutrition in some form. So basically, anyone can call themselves a nutritionist on the internet. Now, I want to make that very clear. That is not who I am. I am a certified nutritional practitioner. I did go to school for this, and I didn't just walk off the street to be here on your podcast. Uh, I did study uh, nutrition. So the difference between what I do and a dietitian is that a dietitian has studied a little bit differently than what I have kind of undertaken. So if you see someone on the street, or if you're maybe not on the street, but if you see someone in a clinical setting or online and they call themselves a nutritionist, they might also call themselves a dietitian. That is a completely separate degree and they are typically people who work in a hospital setting or work in dietetics uh, you know I'm doing tube feeding things along those lines or just following the Canada food guide as they have to under that uh, degree Uh, I however have studied nutrition from a more holistic sense so although my training was not as in-depth it wasn't a four-year program it was a program that really had you kind of think about the whole body rather than just the calories in calories out or you know the nutrition from you know you need x amount of vitamin a and vitamin d and that's about it so it was a very holistic program following more so the guidelines of what a naturopathic doctor would follow obviously that's not who i am but similar principles of starting from the root cause and trying to figure out someone's problems from that point rather than saying here's this vitamin c please take that and you know see me in a month that's not how we do things would you say that like a GP is akin to a dietitian and a naturopath would be more akin to a certified nutritionist? On the outside looking in, yes. So if we were to look at a dietitian from that standpoint, that is the training that they typically do kind of follow that GP style of, of work. But there are a lot of holistic based dietitians out there now kind of calling themselves more real food dietitians or holistic dietitians following the idea that we need to look at the root cause of things, which is nice to see that out there too, because they also are able to do things that you know we as certified nutritionists cannot do. So it's nice to see that happening. When I think real food, I'm thinking real food. I'm thinking real food as opposed to imaginary food. Yes. (laughs) I I like that you first said real foe. Real (laughs) foe. Real foe. I mess up my words quite often. Or you're just like really like. I really. I could go for some pho. I could definitely go for some pho right now. Is that considered real food? Technically, yes. Yeah. Perfect. Would you consider it good food? 
once again, if it was done the right way, like if you were thinking about this from like traditional ways of making food compared to what we do now, yeah, definitely. If we're making, you know, instant noodles and pouring some packaged broth in it, definitely not. But if you're making that bone broth from scratch, which is what pho is, yeah, that would be real food. Got the approval right there. That's yes. a good nod. It's, it's making me think of uh, actually Lunch. something you said when oh. we were talking prior to this podcast where you talked about dissociation from food. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit, what you meant by how we dissociate from food? Oh my gosh, that's a, a question to unwrap there. We dissociate from food in the same way that we dissociate from our bodies, in my personal opinion, that we spend so much time you know, living outside of our own bodies and going through the motions of the day. We do that with food too, where we say, well, I'm hungry, I should eat something, or I'm hungry, or I'm you know, feeling well, it's a terrible example, but I feel like fat. I'm not going to eat this. I'm going to choose this option. And we dissociate from food, kind of thinking about it as its mechanical parts and not actually thinking about the, the vitamins and minerals that it contains and the phytonutrients that it contains. And that's definitely kind of the opening part. I'd like to add to that about the dissociation from food. We just look at it like a number or we look at it like something to accomplish and that's definitely part of this technological world that we're living in and kind of this dissection of things that we you know, must accomplish in a day. So I like this because you're basically advocating for getting away from like calorie counting or yeah, like worrying about like, well, did I get X, Y, or Z or am I preventing myself from getting X, Y, or Z by having this particular type of food? So where does that go? Because you're now you're now kind of espousing a bit of like ideology here, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's where this is going. <laughs> but it yeah, like it sounds like what you're saying is that like that's not necessarily the end all be all. We shouldn't all be, you know, like taking a bite and then immediately logging into my fitness friend or whatever the trademarked version of that is. <laughs> um Yeah. Is that correct or is that like, am I, I, am I on something here? Like, am I, I would say am so. Am I pulling the mask off the villain at the end of the Scooby-Doo I think uh, you episode? Are. Okay, I cool. think you are. Let's, let's hear it. And as far as that goes, it doesn't mean that that doesn't have a time and a place. If we're working with an athlete who needs specific calories and vitamins and mineral content, we, we might need to, to log, log that and track that. But mm. for the average person, it's, it's not quite that simple. And we can also dive into the other end of saying we might not want to just you know eat intuitively and we'll make, maybe get there later. But to unwrap the idea of calories in and calories out, it's not that simple. And there's really cool new research around this where they put people on calorie in, calorie out diets and they increased their calories and expected everyone to gain about 16 pounds based on this. But the actual weight gain varied from person to person immensely from like one pound to nine pounds so really not as cut and dry as we once thought so based on the caloric intake that they were eating they assumed that this whole population of people would basically just gain so much more weight than they had originally thought but yes just to summarize it it's not that cut and dry because we're not machines right we're not Hmm. something that just we punch in a number, beep, boop, 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 and then we get something out at the end. There's so much going on hormonally, there's neurotransmitters, there's different types of chemical reactions, there's inflammatory cytokines, there's enzymes, there's all these things involved There's that just make up who we are and affect our requirement for calories. So, yeah. And this definitely (laughs) speaks to that idea that, you know, there are so many, uh, like, 
health and fitness in quotation marks influencers yeah. who are creating these one size fits all plans saying if you follow this diet plan if you follow this you're going to get these exact results and so a study like that shows that like you say there are um, everybody has their own unique makeup yeah. that is going to change how they respond to a certain protocol exactly I feel like probably our listeners at this point are thinking, well, how do I know how my body's going to respond? I know I, I thought that for a long time too. Well, am I one of those people that has a hormonal difference that I'm not going to be able to lose or gain weight? So how do you, where do you start? Where do you start to try to figure that stuff out? Honestly, and this might sound strange coming from someone who does this for a living, it's it's an experiment. And so for every client that comes in, obviously I know based on their family history, their medical history, their experience with food, what I'm going to kind of, which avenue I'm going to take first. But I always go for low hanging fruit and this happens in any profession, right? You kind of see what's, what's there for the taking and we start there. So for the average person, if they're coming in and they're eating, you know, that standard American diet of processed food, added sugar, refined carbohydrates, refined oils, we start by maybe modifying that and never by taking anything away. And I think this is where most people maybe follow down the wrong path by saying, well, I'm going to cut everything out. I'm not going to eat this. No sugar, whole 30, all that kind of fun stuff or not fun stuff. <laughs> it's just uh, going to say yeah. fun. <laughs> fun in my mind, no, it's still not fun. It's not, when we restrict things, it never ends up working out in the end. So to get back to your question, we take the low hanging fruit by saying, what can I add in that's going to make a difference? And that's going to actually have this person realize, hey, I feel a little bit better today, or I've noticed a little difference. I didn't have an afternoon crash. I slept better. I fill in the blank. And so the low hanging fruit is always where I start. And for most people, it ends up being protein is really the honest one that I mm. find is, you know, people are starting their day with a big bowl of oatmeal and we might, you know, change that out for something more protein based. Or we find that people are snacking all day long on small carbohydrate based snacks, those hundred calorie snack packs or things like that. And we say, hey, let's try some protein instead. And so low hanging fruit is usually protein for most people. And if not that, then it's, you know, adding in greens or healthy fats. And then we go from there. It's kind of like looking at, um, the macroscopic picture first and then we can zoom into the microscopic details that are important uh, you know for let's say someone's disease or someone's management of certain condition of a certain condition but low-hanging fruit first always well i think you have to get the buy-in first right yeah. like that's that's the um any drug dealer wants to make <laughs> sure that a new client is you know sure of the uh effect that they're they're getting and you know that sating that they're looking for uh so it makes sense yeah. are you yeah. comparing protein to drugs <laughs> i'm comparing most businesses to drugs actually like to, to drug dealers not drugs specifically no not drug drug dealing the the opportunity system availed by selling illicit drugs well, is i feel what like I'm you just about. have a shovel right now and you're digging right technically to, to actually no. fight for you and to advocate no. for you when you break down protein technically it's individual amino acids that no. can then create serotonin and all sorts of fun stuff so maybe true story so everything is a drug why do yes. you think protein is the main thing that uh, well you said it's the most common one that's your low-hanging fruit with clients yeah do you why do you think that is do you want to elaborate on that <sighs> Very good question. For most people, protein tends to be the low-hanging fruit because of industry, 
really. We're constantly bombarded by tasty snacks. We're constantly bombarded by health foods like whole grains, which obviously could be useful for certain people. But we've kind of just had this instilled from in us from birth of you need cereal for breakfast. You need rice with this. You need pasta with this. And it's not to say that carbohydrates are evil. That's something else we need to touch on too. It's not like low carb for everyone. But we kind of forget about the fact that protein is so important and it's never really addressed in any you know, educational setting in schools. It's never really addressed in adulthood that we have a minimum requirement of protein that by government standards is actually just a bare minimum to run your metabolic functions. That doesn't even take into consideration if you are an athlete, if you are a weekend warrior, if you are a CrossFitter, if you are someone who if, goes if for runs. If you work runs. a 10-hour job yes. that is completely like labor-related oh my gosh. and physical. Exactly. And I've had so many clients come in, especially guys who can't put on weight, and they wonder why. And I look at their job. They're movers. They're people who are in construction. They're laborers or people who are just standing on their feet all day. And they're eating, you know, maybe... Oh my gosh, let's say like a pound of protein. Oh, a pound, let's say a pound. Oh my gosh. You guys really make me nervous. I'm never this nervous on podcasts. Um, it's I would the say dog. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the just... dog. There's a very cute little dog here and just, just looking so sweet. But just basically in a nutshell, not getting enough protein because they're not calculating in just the amount of energy that they're putting out in a day. Mm-hmm. So because I think the government recommendation is 1.2 grams per kilo. Is that correct? 0.8. 0.8 is oh, the bare minimum is the bare minimum yeah. okay well, I, I did want to add in as well like I think you know that point you make about you know protein being the low-hanging fruit I think that speaks also to like the dissociation that you were talking about like like carbs and grains and especially with a lot of fad diets there is talk about specific foods and there isn't really a lot of talk about protein with it so people are just kind of going through taking in all this messaging and not really taking in what their body is telling them yeah and on top of all of that even the way that we're discussing this now is still almost like a compartmentalized version of that we're talking about okay you need protein you need carbs you need fats but all of those things work synergistically together and a lot of the food that we eat contains more than one of those elements which is what a lot of people forget but the last point i wanted to touch on on that is that that belief around you know protein makes you muscular and carbohydrates give you mass Mm. i find a lot of that in my practice where if we're looking at this by let's say like a a gender-based ratio we have so many women who come in who are so afraid to eat protein because of exactly that fact they're afraid they're going to put on muscle mass but as we age that's also something we need to consider we need adequate protein to prevent sarcopenia like that that starts way earlier than people expect that to start that you know wasting away of muscle and it's something that people just are too afraid to kind of address in the in the sense that we need more protein so i feel like you keep answering my questions before i've even asked them which is really funny because i I, i'm like oh i got a good question in my head and then you just start answering it it's like you're reading my mind exactly nutritionist slash psychic (laughs) don't spill it so let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum yes um what do you think of like a carnivore diet because we just talked about how important protein is you Mm -hmm. did say that most of our food contains multiples of that yeah but I've been seeing that diet style gaining popularity a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Everybody's talking, starting to talk about how important protein is yep. and pitching carnivore diet, 
carnivore diet. Uh, can you tell us what you think about that? Is it the Republicans' vegan diet? <laughs> <laughs> From the outside looking in, it definitely feels that way. We all kind of need in life uh, to, you know, wear some sort of flag and, and wave it around, right? No matter if it's diet related or lifestyle related or anything, right? We all want to wave a flag and that's just how it is in, in, in the world. And uh, especially now that everything's social media related. But back to the carnivore diet itself, we go from one extreme to the other, don't we? Right? Before it was, yeah. let's say, Atkins, and then it was keto, and then it was paleo, and then it was vegan plant-based movement, and now it's carnivore. And so we have all of these like extreme diets that, you know, might work actually very well for certain people, but might not work well for others. So the carnivore diet itself isn't inherently bad. There's actually some really cool anecdotal evidence about it. And uh, people have healed themselves from a variety of different conditions by removing sugar and removing different types of, of carbohydrates that have caused some concern, especially to the gut. So for some people, taking out fiber, all fiber, is actually really helpful because not fiber isn't always the the magic cure for everybody. You know, you can't just start shoveling in bran buds and flax but, seeds. But William Shatner told, told me that Metamucil was the answer to all of my problems. Oh, man. <laughs> And he's like 90,000 years old. I don't even know if I want to touch that. <laughs> you can't go against William Shatner. You just can't. Oh. Of course you can. Yeah, course the fiber can. one's a tough one because for the average person, we need fiber to help move things along. But the fiber itself can be like adding more cars to a traffic jam in certain scenarios. So it's kind of important to think about it that way, where some people can actually see great relief through a carnivore-based diet. I have terrible imagery right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I use a lot of analogies. No, so sometimes they get it. really gory. And no, weird. it's great. I love it. <laughs> but you know, like if if I'm ever gassy, then I can just think of like all these cute little cars in my bowels, <laughs> backing up and <laughs> tooting their horns and stuff. <laughs> Way better it, image it, than the one I had. Oh my God, is that is that what a fart is to you? Is just a little car inside <laughs> a of you tooting <laughs> tooting a horn? <laughs> toot, toot. Oh. <laughs> you you might you might be here a while explaining a lot of things to us. Oh, right. I love it. Oh Sounds God. good. Why are we all so different? Because like you said, the, the carnivore diet works for somebody and then it really doesn't work for somebody else. Does it come down to genetics? Does it come down to experience? Why does that? Are we different species? Was we that are. a fart? <laughs> D, stop honking in your abdomen. Oh my. Um, we're not different species, although sometimes it might feel like we are, but... <laughs> Same species, different planet. Yep. And that was a joke, by the way. I know we're not different species. <laughs> with, um, with regards to the genetic piece, it's a big factor. And so our genetics are obviously different for every single person in this room and for every single person listening to this podcast, unless you have a twin or a triplet. And then if so, contact me. I'd love to study you. But <laughs> twin studies are so cool, right? Because that kind of leads me to the next point where our genetics plays such a big role in our ability to digest proteins, carbs, fats, our ability to take, uh, let's say, the essential fatty acids and turn them into their non-essential fatty acids, our ability to take vitamin D and make it active. All of that comes down to genetics, but it also comes down to our epigenetics, which is why twins you guys are really cool and triplets um, because if you have the same genetic code you can still present differently and that's the epigenetic factor and so we now know that our epigenetics plays such a big role in our 
just how our bodies function, right? It, it was once thought that, you know, your genes were your destiny and you were kind of screwed if you had bad genes. You'd say, well, my parents had this, so I'm going to get it. But fun fact, it's more so the lifestyle factor that does that. The genes, the analogy kind of goes, the genes may load the gun, but it's the environment that pulls the trigger. Wow. Yeah. Love so, it. Just a little sidebar. If uh, our listeners don't know what epigenetics is, epigenetics is how uh, your genetics are represented based on your experiences. So what you experience can highlight certain parts of your genetic and pull out different things. That's what she means by pull the trigger. Yes. And so the cool thing about epigenetics too is that it's not just for... Oh, no, I was going to say. Oh, all right. We're reading. Go am ahead. I reading your mind? No, no. Yeah, you're reading my mind. Just one more thing about uh, epigenetics. If you don't know about it, it affects literally how our hair and eyes and brain cells function. And so wow. basically your genes for your eyelashes are the exact same genes for your nose and for your ear hairs and your muscle cells. But it's the epigenetic factors that actually turn them on for your eyes to look like eyes and your beard to look like a beard and etc. So it's mm-hmm. really cool how that works. And then Thank that you also for extends. Thank my beard. Ah, it's lovely to Also, me. why did you look at me when you said ear hair? <laughs> you have headphones on, but I just, I went for random kinds of hair and I, I don't know why I chose ear <laughs> It's just bursting out of I, your headphones. That's crawling exactly. out. It's okay I'm to assume so that the guy right would now. have ear hair, but it's actually me that has all the ear hair here. We all have ear hair. <laughs> And another thing about epigenetics is that it can actually um, work across generations too, right? Yes. And that's really neat. And there's more research coming out about that now that you can have, there's epigenetic effects that are within you that could have come from your grandparents. And this goes down to not just the food that they ate, but also the trauma they experienced, which is really neat. And so stay tuned for that in terms of research coming down the pipeline Mm -hmm. from, let's say, like a psychology point of view, but Mm -hmm. also from a nutrition and health point of view. In the next five, 10 years, there's going to be some really cool research coming out about that. Yeah, there's a lot of research actually in BC, I think, about that that's happening right now. Yeah, related to like generational traumas. Definitely read into epigenetics if you're interested in that kind of thing. Yeah. But I have something that you said earlier, uh, repeating back in my head, uh, you said American style diet. Uh, And then I started just kind of thinking about culture and diet. Um, So how do you think our culture affects the way we eat? Is there some cultural practices and food that are what you would say is better than others or worse than others? Very good question. And once again, there's no black and white. And that's the other thing we really have to think about is that there's no right or wrong way to do you know, nutrition to do movement, all that kind of, maybe there's a right and wrong way to do to do movement and nutrition. But you know what I mean when I try and say that one way is not the right way for everyone. And that is based on genetics, but also on lifestyle and, you know, your current household environment and all of that as well. So the standard American diet is, we could just really call the standard kind of Western style diet now, but that idea of tons of refined sugar, tons of different types of seed oils that have been processed, lots of refined carbohydrates that have been processed in a way that they've been stripped of their nutrients. And that makes up a large part of that standard American or standard Western style of eating now. And that has spread definitely throughout the world. And you can see the repercussions of that in rates of obesity, rates of type 2 diabetes, and more. So when it comes to cultural differences, there's definitely obviously pockets of uh, more traditional styles of eating around the world. And we do see that 
they tend to have less instances of these kind of lifestyle diseases that we see now, like obesity and like type 2 diabetes. So the question kind of remains is, is it the food itself or is it the lifestyle or is it a combination of, of both? And that's something to ponder. Well, what's the answer? <laughs> I don't have all the answers. No. <laughs> I think it's definitely a combination coming back to that idea of epigenetics right, right? and it, it's a product of of what we eat but also what we do and, and and kind of what we do in a day makes a big difference right you could eat the best diet in the world but if you're not moving it's not that great either right so and the same thing around on the other way around if you are working out and you are let's say going through a program that has been custom made for you and you're like we do here at three wave fitness are you saying it's important to have a good nutritional plan along with programming right now i might be (laughs) (laughs) this wasn't even set up (laughs) but yes it, it does matter right so you could have the best program in the world but if you are not refueling and you're focusing just on calories in calories out or just saying hey i completed my workout so i should just eat this instead then you're not going to see the best results that you were were hoping for because it is a, a mixture of diet and lifestyle diet plays a really big role in that but the lifestyle factor is also something that we shouldn't ignore and i find a lot of people do this i'm, I'm speaking to three people who you know coach movement for a living but you have people who will say well i'm going to go to the gym i'm going to go on the treadmill one time a week or three times a week and then call it a day and then sit for 10 hours for the rest of my days and we now know that that's not very useful right we know that we need to keep moving this there was a study that just came out and i'll I'll have to find it but it was essentially saying that for an average work day you need to have 40 minutes of activity per day to offset Mm -hmm. that standard work day of sitting yeah uh 40 minutes a day oh that's interesting i want to read that yeah i saw the same one yeah and it was i was like Oh shit. <laughs> a lot of people are going to read that and immediately freak out. Yeah, so going back like that that idea of like holistic has to include both exercise and nutrition and then nutrition has to you're saying has to encompass like something that works for your needs independently. And that leads me to a question, I guess, of you know, as you alluded to earlier, we talk about these extreme diets that always come up. Why does an extreme diet seem like the answer like why does everybody jump in and like buy that wholesale like we are pre-programmed for being the most gullible idiots when it comes to (laughs) like these like snake oil salesmen that come out of the the fray right like why is that well it's because we're getting promised the answer we're getting promised the red pill we're getting promised the 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 instant gratification solution right like why did everybody jump in on any diet like name your diet from the <laughs> 80s you know and and all the way up till now and it's all to do with obviously like somebody's making money on it that's the most important part yes uh but everybody wants that instant result everybody wants that but nobody wants to put in the work for it and i'm not trying to say that um i'm not saying that pedantically and i'm not saying that uh insultingly i'm just like that's how we are conditioned right now yes. in this society is to like if, if there is a shortcut to take we will try to take it for all of those people that are out there that go like well I and especially now like I can't afford to hire a nutritionist mm-hmm. I can't hire you know 
I'm having trouble in my life because there is no more middle class. With the the economic crisis of 2008 and with the Great Recession, as it's now called, you know, with the slowdown during COVID times with the economy, uh, it's eroded a lot of people's ability mm-hmm. to make these choices. So now we're up against this this thing where, like, not only can people not hire these resources like you that are like brilliant and and like need to be out there working with everybody, but they also now are relying, especially as you, even as you mentioned earlier, on like social media in order to try to educate themselves and make these decisions mm-hmm. around what they, you know, should be eating, shouldn't be eating, what have you. Thus, it's creating more of a, almost like an evangelical response to like <laughs> these things. So where do you go from there? Like, how do you, how do you resolve all of that? I know I just kind of said everything in the world <laughs> <Yep>. ever uh, <laughs> in all of history, but how do you like... How do you resolve that? Like, where would you go to say, like, you know, these are a few steps that you can take to, like, start making changes? Or do you have to say, like, you know what? Like, because everybody's different, there's no one size fits all. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't do anything. Like, you're basically just fucked. Like, curl (laughs) up and die. It's it's okay. The world's not going to get any better. Did you see what Hurricane Ida did? It made it all the way to New York. So, like, forget about it, folks. We're done. Like, where do you go? Because I'm <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm back in the mic over to the balcony can right you now. Like, that, you just piled can you answer like, that? this massive question. It's quite heavy. Feels I mean, like the you're traffic welcome. jam inside of D right now. <laughs> That's, that, all my cars are in my head. <laughs> Always honking. Ah, okay. A lot to unravel, but I have so many things that I want to say that I could just like. Uh, Go do it. To unpack that very intricate, long question. (laughs) And this is decaf. And this is decaf. Okay. Now I know (laughs) the future. (laughs) To unpack this, first, I want to touch on the kind of part that you mentioned about going for the red pill and just kind of automatically hitting that response. Yeah. Or waiting for that response. We do it all the time. Right now, maybe if you're bored, like you've decided to open your phone while you're listening to this podcast. I found you. I know what you're doing. And you did it because you needed something instant. You were waiting for the answer. And his answer, well, my answer didn't come yet because his question was so long. So you decided to open your phone. (laughs) No, it's okay, right? We all do that. You do that waiting in the line at the grocery store. You do that all the time. You do that when you decide you've got like a rash and you're like, well, I'm going to go online and buy this thing and it's going to come by Amazon and I'm going to get it. And we do that because of psychology, right? So if we go down to some basic psychology, why do we do what we do? Can you answer that? I have a question for you now. Why do we do what we do? Is the answer epigenetics? <laughs> Aside from that. Uh, but, but Because we've had a disruption in homeostasis and we're trying to return that as soon as possible so we don't feel stressed out. Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, so anyone else? We have super low dopamine and serotonin <laughs> and that's why. <laughs> Instant you, gratification. Yeah. I also think we adapt and are adapt to and are influenced by the world around us and the messages around us. So... You know, we take the red pill because we're told we have to do something mm-hmm. to be or look or feel a certain way. And the only way we can do it is with that red pill because we need to do it fast or we're not going to be accepted by society or ourselves. Well, some very good, very good answers here. Can you can you tell that I'm a, I'm a teacher and I, and yeah, I, get, I actually felt like I was in school <laughs> in that like moment. I should put my no, hand up. <laughs> And that, that's why she looked at me and asked me is because I was the only one without my hand up. <laughs> you're, you're the one in the back of the class cowering Seriously, in the corner like, looking away. No, I'm usually like scratching my name into the desk. Oh. So. <laughs> but all of you are correct. But to even get to the, to the 
actual just overarching kind of question there why do we do what we do aside from social media aside from all of that we do what we do because of what we expect to happen next so we do what we do because we know that there's something that's going to happen right as a result we're also avoiding what comes next (laughs) oh my gosh we're doing what we're doing exactly right we can we can kind of unpack that uh, however way we see fit but we do what we do because of what we expect to happen next so that could be taking the red pill in the form of a keto diet or a plant-based diet or buying a supplement as a fat burner or anything like that but we do it because something has disrupted homeostasis right we do it because something has told us that we're not in that state of balance anymore and we need to find a way to correct it so we have all of these people who come in looking for a quick fix and to kind of now answer your question it's not black and white either and it's not to say that it's just your epigenetics and you're screwed and I can't help you unless you come in and pay for my services but we have to kind of think about basic psychology when we see clients to understand where they're where they're at in terms of their readiness to make change so if you have a client who's come in who let's say has a specific illness but they're also looking for weight management there's only so much i can do without sitting down with that client and actually learning everything about them so i can give them something that is you know quite custom to them maybe that is some genetic testing maybe that is food log stuff and then you know weeks and weeks and months and months of coaching and kind of guiding them along but at the end of the day when we're looking at this from that point of view of you know what do we do next it comes down to what you're ready for and what you expect in return so when you have people who come in and buy something or hop on the next diet bandwagon and they expect that to fix them they're going to be sorely disappointed right because they expect that thing to bring them instant gratification they expect that thing to fix them and that's something that we as practitioners need to remind ourselves that we're not there to to fix someone we're there to give them the tools that they need to make change so my advice to to anyone who's listening to this and saying okay where do i go next without hiring a professional is first ask yourself where you're at and kind of say okay what am i ready to take on right now and then go for low-hanging fruit so if we are looking uh let's say for that low-hanging fruit if let's say you are someone who is eating lots of junk food and we found a huge increase of that with covid Think back to the beginning of COVID times, what was on sale at every single grocery store? It was like cookies, crackers, comfort food, all this stuff. And it was great, right? Like, like let's let's hang out in our homes for a few weeks and, you know, eat some popcorn and watch movies. It'll be great. And then, you know, 18 months later, we we might have some issues around that. We do what we do because of what we think is going to happen next so in times of uncertainty we will reach for something that is comforting right that's why at the beginning of the pandemic people were so afraid to or went back to let's say comforting things like eating junk food like hanging out on the couch like watching netflix yeah you didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow like the world was ending or something exactly yeah and so in that kind of moment we do what we do because of what we expect to happen next or because of what we don't know is going to happen so coming back to this convoluted answer to a somewhat convoluted question um that's my name yeah (laughs) Uh, we have to to kind of think where we're at and what we want to happen and understand that if we decide to flip the world on its head and you know adopt a brand new diet plan it's probably not going to work overnight. It just doesn't work that way. And so gradually easing yourself into anything is definitely the best approach. There's a reason why people will see change when they adopt a new diet. Most people will, right? You find tons of studies about this, about any diet that's out there. Go plant-based, go paleo, go keto, and people will see drastic weight loss results or you know lifestyle results, changes to metabolic markers, all of this stuff. And 
they're all very different diets. So why does that happen? And the low hanging fruit here for anyone who's listening is not the diet itself. It's typically the walk away from processed food to just a more unprocessed diet. And that is the first change that I would recommend for anyone who is looking to adopt a a lifestyle strategy, not a diet, not a quick fix, not something that's going to have you lose five pounds in five weeks or whatever the, you know, trend is right now. It's to look for that low hanging fruit and that lifestyle factor, not just the quick fix of six weeks to a new body or six weeks to changing your uh, metabolic markers for diabetes. Look for the low hanging fruit of what's processed in my diet that I can take out and replace with something whole. Look for the low hanging fruit of, okay, do I go for one walk a week? Let's make that two. And just kind of slowly, gradually put yourself into that. If you are someone who works out, the best analogy I can give you is you would never, <laughs> obviously, she just shake your head. Like, yeah. yeah, everyone who listens to this podcast definitely works out. So my apologies. Um, but it would be like loading a barbell and you've never done a deadlift. You have, let's say like 245s on each side and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna lift this, but you've never lifted before. It's not gonna be very pretty when that when that happens, right? That's gonna be a dangerous thing most likely. So you kind of need to go through the motion of you know, working with that bar or a pole first or a dowel and kind of going through the motions of that, getting used to that, telling your body what that feels like and then slowly loading it. And it's the same thing with nutrition. If you decide to jump off the deep end and I've had clients do this on their own and come back to me, they feel terrible. They feel like crap. They'll be like, oh, like you told me that, you know, in a few weeks we're going to start to cut this out and do that. But you told me to eat protein. I didn't do that. I decided to cut out wheat and gluten and sugar and all these things. And I actually had diarrhea and I had headaches. And why do I feel so terrible? And I'm like, well, it's because you decided to load a barbell rather than just simply going for a walk and you know stretching and going through the motions first well and I think like a lot of people you know because we're talking about like a quick fix and what's the pill and often that is equated with weight loss Mm -hmm. but weight loss (laughs) and nutrition don't necessarily go hand in hand and sometimes what causes you to lose weight isn't necessarily nutrition based or healthy and sometimes uh pursuing the goal of weight loss Mm -hmm. isn't what's going to be most nutritious for somebody. I'm so happy you said that. So in my field, when we go through school, we learn about all sorts of different pathologies and going through different types of conditions. And we're like, okay, we're going to help this person with this and help this person with this condition. And, you know, here are the supplements and the dietary protocols that go along with that. But what we're not told is that most clients come in for weight loss. And they've come in saying, you know, I'm working out, I'm doing this diet regime um, and, you know, it's not working. I'd love to see a professional to give me the, the diet plan and the macros that I need to lose weight. But my goal, and I tell them this straight up, is that that's not my goal. My goal is to teach you the fundamentals of nutrition, what is best for you uh, according to your lifestyle, your genetic factors, and uh, the lifestyle obviously including movement. And then my goal here is to have the weight loss be like a side effect of that. We're not pursuing late weight loss. We're not counting our calories to have that scale drop or, you know, um, kind of go up depending on what that person's goal is. The goal is to have that be the side effect of a diet that is meant for them. And the term diet, just to kind of make that very clear, because when people hear it, they kind of cringe and they're like Atkins or paleo or keto. The term diet from just a dictionary standpoint is literally a course of food that a human consumes. That is the actual definition of a diet it can be obviously used towards diet products or a course of food used for medical reasons but it also just means the food that we eat in a day you're becoming noam chomsky right now Mm. i studied linguistics too and he was a big part of linguistics and computer programming and that's a part of me i i'll leave that there but yeah noam chomsky (laughs) is an amazing man 
He looks crazy now. <laughs> I know. I saw him the other day and he, whew, yeah. but he's still brilliant. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, why do brilliant people never do their hair? I think they it's don't just have time. No. They don't have time. <laughs> They're busy doing other things. I guess so. So I think there's a couple things that you've mentioned now that are great places to kind of start with. Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned protein in the morning. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, go for low-hanging fruit, so the easiest kind of intervention that you mm-hmm. can do um, and seeing how you feel. Um, was There There was some other ones, too. Can we kind of just refresh that? Did anybody else remember some of the other ones? Because there's so much information. In I'm still trying right to process Cam's question. From before. <laughs> I'm still trying to process that question. <laughs> Oh, there was some stuff about the 2008 crash. It was an awesome question. Um, but we talked about protein. We talked about low-hanging fruit. We talked about, you know, not going for a huge intervention because it's probably going to fall off. Yeah. Um, anything else that you can kind of think of that are really great ways to start? Adding in before taking anything away. Yes. And that's a big one in my practice. I know that not every practitioner does follow this route, but just through my experience in this realm as well as just in coaching in general uh, it's so important to give people that that win right we want to have people have some sort of small win is that buy-in as you know we learned from our drug dealer analogy but uh, also from just the point of view of getting that person in touch with their body because coming back to that idea that we spend so much time on our phones in our own brains we don't really register what our body does on a regular basis and it's trying to tell us stuff, right? It's kind of constantly giving us little notions of feedback of like that aching back is telling you, hey, something's not right. Or, you know, you have a headache. Hey, something's not quite right. You have painful periods. Hey, maybe we should check in on that because those things are typically average for people, you know, gas and bloating and the, the, the car horns going on, uh, but they're not normal per se. They're typically little body signs that, you're, that your body is trying to tell you something is not quite in homeostasis, but we tend to ignore them. We choose to ignore them until there's a point where we come to where we need to take the red pill or the blue pill. So that would be my other thing too, is to add things in before taking anything away. You don't need an elimination diet to start. You don't need a whole 30. You don't need that right off the bat. It might be something that we we dive into later on, but if you don't understand, or if you're not at the point of, of, of knowledge of saying, hey, this is what my plate looks like. It has a variety of healthy proteins, carbs, and fats that are nutrient dense in the sense where they have, you know, the vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients. It's very low processed food uh, in, you know, relative proportions for what I need. Then we're, we're not doing any of that yet. We need to start there. So add things in first. Never ever just decide to cut your calories for the day or do any of that first. It's not going to work out well for you. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we've all done it. It what, sucks. What are we adding? <laughs> So protein, big one. Mm. Also looking at your plate in the sense of making sure that you have protein, carbs, and fats there because you find that a lot of people will eat meals that are, let's say, just like straight up packages of ramen noodles or we'll have people who will eat, let's say, nothing but meat all day long or we'll have people who will eat, let's say, just basically yeah single macronutrient foods constantly all day long whereas we really want to be looking for that balance of things to make sure that we have the raw material that we need and i have an analogy for this that i'd love to share with you because i love analogies no Oh, we love your analogies, so bring so, it on. Uh, this is something that I love to share with clients, and I'll, I'll share it with all of you here because it's a really good first step for looking at your plate because we are so used to 
quantifying food in in western culture right yes we're so used to saying we need x amount of protein after a workout to make sure that we don't lose our gains or we need x amount of fat uh, to make sure that we have adequate uh, brain function we need x amount of this vitamin and mineral and supplement to make sure that we are you know super powerful functioning human beings but what we forget about is that nature is is quite intuitive in the sense where a lot of these things were found in whole food forms obviously farming and other things have taken away from that so supplements can be necessary for certain people but what i'm trying to get at here is that when we're looking at that plate we really want to find a variety of macronutrients so our proteins carbs and fats but not in that kind of if it fits your macros approach of you know eating your burger and this and just making sure that those macros are in there based on just the 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 calorie count and the number you want to look for those whole food forms of foods and so here's the analogy i'm sure we all watch movies right Mm -hmm. okay um i say this as someone who like doesn't really watch a lot of movies so just bear i know i'm not a huge they both have done films so they definitely watch it's really funny because i also i do like small commercials and things like that and whenever i'm in acting classes they're like oh do you see this film and i'm like no and then they look at me like i'm crazy yep yeah but i I like doing that side i I don't really enjoy watching tv series i'm sorry don't hate me everyone on this podcast is like who is this lady she's crazy every, every, every film course i've ever taken they always say i know have you ever seen in the mood for love they always ask that really early on and i always just say no (laughs) no i refuse to watch it now i refuse not the cabinet of dr caligari no oh man we could go down a spiral of this but to get anyway your movie analogy yes my movie analogy so i'm you will all appreciate this then so when we think about the movies for the average person we think about the stars. We think about George Clooney and Brad Pitt and people that we recognize from, from movies, right? We know who they are. We know what they do. And that's kind of like the equivalent of people understanding, okay, we've got calories and proteins and carbs and fats, and we kind of have an idea of what they do and what they look like, right? Vaguely. But what we forget about is the fact that to have that production run, right? To see a movie come to life, a blockbuster film or even a small uh, maybe not an indie film, well, those are questionable, but um, in terms of their production value, what we forget about is that there is a film crew, there's crafty, there's a makeup crew, there's the lighting crew, there's cameras, there's all of these people who work in the background to make that movie run and come to life. And that's basically like looking at what the macro or the micronutrients do for us, right? So our vitamins, our minerals, our phytochemicals that are found in food that allow Brad Pitt and George Clooney to look good, right? Our protein, carbs, and fats are great. We need them. They're structural things that break down into energy and small bits and pieces that allow us to make new muscle and neurotransmitters and hormones and let's say our actual cells themselves in terms of the fats that are there. But without the vitamins and minerals, they don't work. It's like having George Clooney and Brad Pitt just picture this, like showing up to the set and being like, hey, like, what's up? And just trying to make a movie. Like, it wouldn't work, right? They only could do certain things without the rest of the crew there. So when we're starting to build that plate, if you can try and find food in its whole food form, and I'm not talking, you know, buying expensive groceries, I'm saying whole foods, less processed, less boxed food, you're more likely to achieve your goals even before we dive into a specific dietary protocol. So I hope that analogy makes sense to you. And I hope that that brings it to light Mm -hmm. in the sense where, you know, it's not just about the number. It's not just about the grams of protein versus carbs and fats. That can be very important, especially when we're getting into specific specifics for 
uh, let's say uh, a specific condition or for goals, right? For um, like gaining mass or uh, weight management. But if we don't understand what the plate looks like and, you know, where George Clooney and Brad Pitt are in relation to the crew that makes them run, then we're not really going to get very far. So that would be my, my big suggestion and the analogy that I find works really well with my clients. I mean, I support involving Brad Pitt and George Clooney in my meals, like for sure. Are you saying you would like to murder them and grind them up into food, <laughs> no. D? Oh my God. She wants I'm them happy to be just part to look of the at traffic them. jam. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. I got a car for you, George Clooney. <laughs> I, I, I have another question okay. then. Um, so is that generally like the biggest struggle that people have is working on finding whole foods? Or is there something else that's a bigger struggle for most people? What, where do most people, I don't want to use the word fail, but where do but, most people have the hardest time mm-hmm. moving forward and continuing with that lifestyle? I would say that that would be a big factor is finding whole foods, but also understanding where they're found because you'll have people who will come in thinking that one food is solely protein versus one food that's solely carbohydrates. And so there is an educational piece that is involved when we start to work with clients. And that's where practitioners like myself will gauge this client's understanding and then give them tools that are appropriate to to where they need to go next. So I think where most people struggle is not just that understanding, but also kind of gauging how much they can take on. And so I find, I'm sure we've all seen a practitioner who might've done this and I'm not calling any practitioner out in general, but has anyone here and maybe listening as well been to someone who said, okay, here's your homework. Do this, 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 see you in a month. And yeah. that's it. I, I've seen Jess before. Oh. <laughs> and you leave. Hey, at least I give you homework. I don't just send you and say, see you in a month. <laughs> yeah, true, right? It can happen in both ways. But you have people who don't have that high level of understanding of, of or the in-depth knowledge about what that would require. And then they go home and they're like, oh, what should, what should I do? I have to do all these things. And they might try all of them for one day and then get super overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So a big part of making sure that you're setting yourself up for success is also factoring in your lifestyle. And that just doesn't mean, you know, like your Netflix and chill lifestyle. I'm talking about like how much time do you have in a day, in a week, in a month to commit to this? Yeah. And then you choose what you're going to do in that time frame. So let's say for that first week, your goal is to, you know, add protein to your breakfast. Not even talking about like cutting out oatmeal. And I don't have anything against oatmeal. I'm not like, but it's I just do. an example. Maybe I do not against, like oatmeal. I don't like oatmeal either, yeah. but maybe against packaged oatmeal. Yeah, yeah, right. And once again, too, if you have someone who's sitting in an office all day, just eating oatmeal for breakfast, we might need to revisit that and actually add more protein. But you have someone, let's say, who just heard the protein piece and they say, okay, I have to eat all this protein and prep all this stuff. And they try it for a few days and they fall off because they forgot the fact that, you know, or they didn't forget, they had to then get back to their regular life of thinking, okay, I have to pick up my kids. I have to do this job. I have this cleaning thing. I have this and this and this. And that piece of the nutrition puzzle is only a couple hours of their day, right? And so they're still not at the point of readiness of saying, okay, I need to make this lifestyle commitment to having time to food prep or buying into a meal prep service or anything like that. So it becomes overwhelming. And then they you know, decide this is too much. It's not going to work for me. I didn't get my results in the week that I thought I was going to get it. So I'm going to stop doing this. It didn't work for me. So I think a big piece is gauging how much you can take on and kind of how much you can, uh, what, how big of a bite you can, you know, take off for, for um, lack of a better pun. That is very, very appropriate Thank for your you. line yeah. of work. Right. How much you can, how, how big of a bite you can 
pick off and chew is a big piece. So knowing your time commitment, yes. your limitations, and then choosing bite-sized chunks. Yes, unintended exactly. That fit into your lifestyle. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, let, I do kind of want to start wrapping this up a little bit, but I do want to know a little bit more about your business. Um, Actually, and... I've got I've got a question. <laughs> sure. I got a question. I told you I had a question. Go You're ahead. ignoring me. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, it's, it's Go fine. Ahead. It's just like I'm. I was the smart one today, so that means I get to ignore people. <laughs> um, no, I, I did want to like so. What about the food labels? Because like a lot of the stuff that you've talked about, like when people go out there, they see, I mean, like beyond the the diaspora of humanity that, uh, you know, provides us with all this information that is like contradictory and, mm-hmm. and, and what have you. We go into the grocery store and you say uh, that we should be eating whole foods. So should we be shopping at the place that shares that name? And I go in there and everything says natural or healthy or a whole food or you know like it has all of these terms so for a lot of people that in the psychology of it well i'm making a better choice and it must be better because i'm now paying Mm $7.99 for crackers that i could get at safeway for like $2.99 great question um what's your opinion on that how do we resolve that all right. In 13 seconds In or less. 13 seconds. <laughs> Time starts he's, now. He's joking. All right. Totally so joking. I actually had the opportunity to work in health food for a while. So I was working for a biodynamic olive oil company and I was really excited to work for them. They were a company from Greece. I'm infatuated with Greece and it's a really, really cool place where they really, you know, take care of their food. But the company allowed me to go into understanding a lot more about food marketing and when i started working for this company i learned so much about how grocery stores work so most of us don't know how grocery stores work and what we're probably going to be surprised to learn is that there's a reason why everything is in the place that it is in in the grocery store there's a reason why the cereal is at a certain level so kids can see it in the cart There's a reason why the better brands are at a specific height for the average adult to see. And this is all paid for, bought and paid for. So when companies are, let's say, listing in a grocery store, you pay a listing fee. You have to buy your way into a grocery store and it's not cheap. And then from there, you have to pay to keep yourself on the shelf. You have to offer free product, all this kind of stuff. So the average consumer who walks into a grocery store of, you know, uh, let's say more expensive means uh, versus any other store, it's the same. It's the same concept. We have to pay for that way into into the shelving space. Doesn't mean that all products are evil, but it just means that there's a lot of marketing involved. And so my reason for saying this is that when we walk into a grocery store itself, the way that the grocery store is laid out is that the food itself that is the least process is actually on the perimeter of the grocery store. So if you close your eyes for a second and kind of picture your your regular grocery store, the vegetables, fruits, things like that are around the outside. And then you have your, let's say, uh, meat and eggs and dairy around the back. And then you have maybe a little bit of uh, some breads or grain products. And then you might have some, let's say, pre-made food. And then the actual aisles themselves are all boxes. They're all boxes and cans and bottles and packages and all of that fun stuff, right? That's the fun part of the grocery store uh, for most people, right? So most people take a beeline there and put stuff in their carts and say, well, this is natural, this is uh, organic, this is uh, gluten-free, this is vegan, this is whatever kind of label you want to stick there. But before we even get to that part, if you are walking into a grocery store, no matter if it's a high-end grocery store or a lower-end grocery store, no matter what fits your budget, you are better off filling your cart with the perimeter 
of the grocery store first because that's whole food. That's what I mean by whole food. Food that is in its least processed form. I think I've heard that being referred to as doing the lap. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right? Because it's like you're doing the circular lap around the outside Mm -hmm. of the grocery store uh, or like the inside outside perimeter of the inside (laughs) of the grocery store. You know what I mean? Yes. But um, like that's what you're saying Mm -hmm. is like make sure that you're getting the not boxed stuff, not the stuff that isn't going to expire for uh, sure after the earth ends in two for years. Sure. Okay. And then the next step would be that if you are going down the boxes or going down the aisles with boxes is to not fall victim to, to marketing, right? And marketing happens in health food as well as in conventionally, right? Uh, conventionally and kind of packaged food as well, right? We can, this broke my heart, but I used to work for this company. We'd have to go to trade shows and the trade shows were whole food, health food trade shows. And I remember speaking to a farmer and this conversation still sticks with me and I promise I'll keep it short, but the farmer actually won an award at this um, event. And he was a farmer who, you know, farmed grains in Saskatchewan and was given an award for his organic and biodynamic farming methods. And I saw him the next day and I thanked him for his speech because it was beautiful. And you could tell he was someone who really believed in this method of farming and producing food. And my family's from Saskatchewan, which is why it just meant so much to me because I spent a lot of summers there. But I asked him if he was enjoying the show and he looked at me and said, honestly, no. I thought this was a health food show, but I don't see any food here. And so it really sat with me and I had to kind of like mull it over and and sit in it. And I'm glad that he said it because it was pulling on my heartstrings as a nutritionist, but also as someone who believed in, in this biodynamic farming method that I looked around and this entire show of health food items, things that are labeled gluten-free, vegan, organic, natural, all of this, just processed food. Right? It's still processed food, even though it comes in a fancy box and it costs $8 instead of $2.99, it's still processed food. Sure, there might be less ingredients in it, which is a plus for a lot of people, right? We need to lower the amount of ingredients in, in a lot of the products that we're consuming, which makes it less processed in general. But if you're still eating a paleo snack bar or a vegan snack bar, it's still a snack bar, right? So sure, it might be a better option than buying a candy bar. It definitely is. And that might be someone's first step of swapping out a candy bar for a packaged vegan or paleo bar that has less processed ingredients in it. But if we're falling victim to that marketing scheme of saying, okay, I'm going to swap everything out from this, you know, let's say cheaper grocery store and now triple my food budget and shop at the high end grocery store just because it says natural and organic, then we're going to fall victim to that. And we're still not going to see the results that we're looking for because we're falling victim to marketing. So at the end of the day, opting for that lap around the grocery store is really important filling up with less processed food first and then when we start to look at boxed things and packaged things opt for options that are let's say one ingredient two ingredient or less ingredients in general and then that's a huge win for a lot of people right yeah my rule was always it has to have less than five ingredients and i have to know what they all are it's a helpful rule yeah Yeah. And that's a big place to start is just learning how to read ingredients rather than just learning to read the calorie count, which is still what's taught. What if I'm really good at reading like chemical ingredients? (laughs) Does that make it okay? No. (laughs) I'm impressed. I'd be very impressed if you could dissect it, but no, right? You still want to opt for less ingredients and swap the the step-by-step approach to how you read boxes in the first place. Don't read the serving size first. Don't read the calorie size first or the calorie content first. Read the ingredients. And if the ingredient list starts to go on and on and you're like, oh, this is you know, a little novel, maybe put that one back and find another box of crackers that has less ingredients. That's a good first step for someone. 
Thank you. That mm-hmm. was a great answer to that question and a great question, I might add, Cam, and I'm super glad you asked it. Uh, but I do want to know um, a little bit more about your business. I think you actually have two businesses. That's correct, right? So you have your nutritionist business and then you teach people about other practitioners about nutrition. Is that mm-hmm. correct? That is correct. So the nutrition business that I run is called Veritas Wellness. I work one-on-one with clients, both in person and online. And I work with a variety of different populations from sports nutrition, uh, people who are looking to, let's say, uh, run a marathon or kind of just look to see what they can do in terms of of the pursuit of of fitness and excellence and kind of blending those two worlds together of nutrition and movement, uh, all the way to people who come in with chronic conditions like diabetes, uh, like, let's say, just constant migraines, chronic pain, fibromyalgia, arthritis, all of these different types of things we can manage through diet. And so the way that I approach my practice is the way that I approached coaching when I was a coach for a very long period of time is to listen intently and to gauge where people are at before I offer any any type of plan. It's all about understanding where this client is at. So my my kind of tagline or motto is my goal is for you to not need me anymore. I want to teach you and give you the tools that you need to make change. I will coach you along that journey, give you the kind of instructions as we see fit and kind of tweak things as as need be. But my goal is to empower you to make those changes and I will help you along the way with all sorts of different kinds of suggestions. Uh, the other aspect of that business is I do offer workplace wellness uh, kind of seminars through that. I love teaching. It's a big passion of mine to teach in, in a variety of different settings, be it with clients or in larger group settings. Or in small group settings in, in a sm- podcast. Yes, <laughs> yes. And that's what I do there. Uh, through that work, I also teach uh, at a post-secondary institute um, for nutrition. I absolutely love teaching. And then to segue into the next business, I operate a company called Fiore Health, and we actually create continuing education courses for practitioners. So we offer uh, courses primarily for nutritionists and personal trainers at the moment. We've actually done a couple of webinars now with a chiropractor, so those will be for continuing education credits for chiropractors. But the goal there is just to provide nutrition-based information for different types of practitioners who probably will get people asking questions about nutrition, right? Like, what should I eat after my workout? Or I have this thing and, um, you know, what should be the right dietary approach? And so um, we offer a lot of courses in that realm and also understanding the difference between, let's say, training males and females, because while we are equal, we actually are a little bit different in terms of our hormonal makeup. So that's another fun course to teach there. She does it all, folks. She does it all. I wear many hats. So if you're interested in working with Sydney, talking to Sydney, we'll make sure that we include details where you can contact her um, or you can reach out to us and we'll connect you with Sydney as well. Well, folks, this has been an amazing adventure and a very educational one to boot. I would like to say that it's been an adventure that we've taken in cars, but Dee has ruined that <laughs> analogy for me forever now. So toot. toot. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been episode 17 of Wave Talks with Sydney Schindel. We will include all of the information in the description of this podcast. And we wish you the best in health. And we wish you, Sydney, all of the great (laughs) pearls that you are still to reap from this amazing adventure that you're on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. We'll see all of you wonderful fitness humans 
next time on the next podcast, which again is not visual. I've got to stop doing visual <laughs> references. We'll hear you. We look we'll, forward to we having We won't you. hear them. We look they forward hear to us. having you. We look forward to you listening to us. <laughs> and if there's anything that we can do for you in the meantime, please don't hesitate to reach out. We are, of course, on the interwebs. We are on social and we are on Patreon. Come check us out. We'd love to work with you. Thank you so much.